KW Feedcast brings you all you need to know about the raw material markets. Brought to you every fortnight by KW Alternative Feeds. Can you afford to miss it? KW Feedcast. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, basically wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to your Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host for this week, Farmers Guardian business reporter Alex Black. Don't forget, we'll bring you a new episode of Over the Farmgate every Tuesday, so make sure that you've subscribed on your favourite platform. This week, we're catching up with the Red Shepherdess, Hannah Jackson. Hannah started out in the industry with no farming background, but has become a well-known figure, with a best-selling book under her belt, as well as countless TV appearances, including competing on the Channel 4 show, SAS Who Dares Wins. Hannah caught up with Emily Ashworth to discuss why she's an advocate for women in farming, getting into the industry as a new entrant, and what she's now focusing on back on farm. So for those who don't know, tell us about your journey into farming. So I was born and raised on the Wirral, um, as just very much like a towny upbringing, um, but was always obsessed with animals and the outdoors since I was tiny. Um, Mum and Dad called me Dr. Doolittle before I could even really walk and talk, so I was just kind of like had this connection with animals like when I was in the room with them I, that was me there just pestering them the whole time yeah, <laughs> never yeah. leaving them alone and um, so I always knew that, that would like I would have a career with well a mixture of both being outdoors and with animals so um then I found love with like whales and dolphins and all of that free willy basically watched it loved yeah. it wanted to be Jesse all my life <laughs> um, so did like all these swimming tests so kind of like uh for all of, to get past the sea world swimming test everything I was in yeah. the water all the time then I went to Canada for a holiday and I saw killer whales out in the wild for the first time and it just, like, I cried because I was like, oh my God, yeah. this is exactly where they should be here, yeah. not in a tank, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, I, do, I was doing my degree in animal behaviour at yeah. John Moores and then um, oh, yeah. went to Canada for six weeks and to live out and study killer whales out in the wild over there, which was just fantastic. Um, came back, was meant to be starting a master's in marine biology and then I was in the lakeship with my family and yeah. literally just on a walk with them. We used to go every Easter. Um, and then the sheep just like gave birth right in front of us. And it was just like the most amazing moment ever. Like as you can probably tell, I'm not normally lost for words, but it was just one of the moments <laughs> where I was just kind of stood there and I was like, just like captivated yeah. by what was going on and like just how the natural instincts were kicking in. And that was kind of, that was it then. On the way home, I just said to my family that I was going to, cancel well I deferred my master's for a year to try and make a go of farming so that is what I did there so I never really looked back really after that and I never went back to do a master's <laughs> so how did you then go on to gain more experience because you did a few things didn't you to get a foot on the ladder so then, I mean, then I literally, I was calling, ringing, emailing everybody or anybody. Yeah. I was actually probably really embarrassing why I applied for Because bear in mind, I never even stepped foot on a commercial farm before at this point. Yeah. Last time I was on a farm would have been when I was like five and like the equivalent of Warby Farm Park where you're feeding little lambs and, you know, that very kind of cute vision of a farm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and I had a pet board collie at the time called Dan um, and... In the end, I managed to get a hold of Derek Scrimminger, who's an international sheepdog trialer, and he also had a fell farm in Keswick. Um, so he said, come for a week, uh, see what your dog's like, you can have a little go, like help us out on the farm. 
Um, so a week in the end turned into like nine months and I never left. Yeah. Dan the dog made a useless sheep dog, obviously, because <laughs> he'd never bobbed a sheep in his whole yeah. life. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I learned everything from there with Derek, like um, just even how to act around sheep. Like, yeah, yeah, obviously yeah, yeah. you can actually imagine it crying. Like I was this tiny, like calling the sheep to me and he's going, no, that's not how you do it. You're in yeah. the way. Blah, blah, blah. So he was like the most patient man ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, got Fraser from my 21st birthday. He's my main... Um, Sheepdog, bless him, yeah. he's just sat down there, I think. And just network and getting to know people in the industry. Started social media for the same reason, just to kind of learn more about farming, speak to more people that weren't just in Cumbria farming, that were all over the country and all over the world. Um, yeah, and then my family fell in love with Cumbria too. Obviously, we all, we all we loved Cumbria, we were always up here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they were like, oh, well, why don't we just try and find somewhere where like, we could come up as a family and there's a little bit of land. So we bought this spot together um, eight years ago and it was 21 acres. Um, and then for a so long th- time... This spot then? This spot, yeah. yeah. Okay, 21 acres. Um, and it was like, so run down. Like, no, I lived yeah. it for 30 years. There was no heating. It was damp. Um, the barn was just a agricultural building. So we converted yeah. that. Um, and then we set up the leadership courses that we do now. Um yeah, and then for a long time, I was stuck at 21 acres and it was the most frustrating thing ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's only within like the last two years really that the flocks were expanded and we've managed to get hold of the other 70 acres that are down the road, um, which has finally given us a chance to to run with it a bit more really. And yeah. So what are we running now then? How many? Is it we're 250? In, uh, 300 now. 300, yeah. And what are they? Uh, mostly North England mules uh, and then obviously the replacements that we keep are primarily like textile cost meals um and then we've last well and with that now we've kind of uh trying to focus more on bringing in like tops and stuff that are focused on on the genetics of exactly what we want which is rearing well lambing outdoors not touching them much we don't want to be feeding them so cause we've because we sell so much like direct to the public too when we do it all grass-fed um so yeah, we've we've kind of started focusing more, yeah, going down the more scientific route of it, and yeah, back in back in the flock a bit more that way. So, uh, we bought two in of this tops last year. And we just bought a New Zealand recorded new, like a Suffolk New Zealand Suffolk thing this year, which I mean I love him. He's like the size of donkey mind, but <laughs> I do love him. Is that something that you've always wanted to work towards? Or is that like a recent? No, I think that's always like, yeah. I think when I first came into farming, after doing my degree and it being so scientifically based. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That was one thing that I was missing with farming. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't, all of a sudden, I wasn't really relying on science at all. And I was just kind of going off. Yeah. The very traditional way of judging on what you remember, what you don't remember, or like what you see more than. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like actual physical, well, actual like. It's probably like a confidence thing as well, isn't it? Yeah. Knowing, you know, where you're going. Yeah, and, well, that's it. And the land and the number of sheep. Yeah. That's it. So yeah. now, like, we can look at... I mean, we're starting to, anyway. We can look at the sheep now, um, even just through the data, and we can see how they're rearing, what they're rearing, how well they're rearing, and, like, we can, like, start to pick out individuals in the flock now that yeah. aren't suited to our system. Yeah. Um, which I think is probably the biggest game-changer. Um, it's a bit like people, isn't it? Like, you mm-hmm. don't have people in your business that just don't suit. So I don't want to be making these sheep work hard if they can't real lambs just on grass and I think like the biggest thing that I'm most passionate about is really trying to build the bridge between farming and food and help people understand the journey and what happens 
Um, so yeah, I think that's why I love doing the meat boxes. It gives you a chance to do all of that in a in a wanna. Yeah. And it makes you a bit more money too. Because you're not so reliant on very fluctuating trade. <laughs> do you think that COVID and the pandemic changed the way that people look at farmers and, and how they buy the food? I hope that after last year it does stick a bit because Absolutely. obviously we had the time to yeah. you know, look at our food choices and, exactly. and, and whatnot. Whereas, and it was you know, a time where farmers like really stepped up to the plate, I think, when, when so many of the supermarkets were bare and there was mm-hmm. nothing on the shelves. Like Especially around here, we had like, all the farm shops were still full and had loads of stuff on. Like We yeah. had farm people like delivering like people like veg fruit and everything to people mm. that couldn't get out and that were shielding yeah. or were just they were yeah. isolating and it was just a time that farmers really rallied together and and made sure there was still food for everybody and still mm. pushed the message so yeah i massively hope that some of those behaviors that we saw change stick and we don't end up creeping back to our to our old ways there's a lot of people that always like like always oh, support our british farmers but mm. then Sometimes, yeah, you sit there, don't you? And like, so you need to act on those words now too. But yeah. again, I do think that is happening more now. Like, yeah, we like I never thought that we our meat would travel like all around the UK. And but, okay, so it, it does, does it? It's yeah, not goes, just that local. No, so yeah. we like set, yeah, we we ship it all around the UK, and it's amazing, and people absolutely love it. Um, but I think social media again helps that because they watch like with ours, like they watch the lamb come into the world. They see yeah. it. They see the whole life. They see that. It's, a very like we try and keep their life as natural as possible so they don't really spend any time indoors um and i think people enjoy that then because they know exactly what they're eating they've seen how much care they've had they've seen how much love they've had and they know that like even to the point of where they go to the avatar yeah. they know that the avatar we've yeah, been yeah, to the avatar yeah, yeah. we picked the avatar ourselves it's a family run one and people like massively respect that i think and I think sometimes we shy away as an industry by saying, oh, we don't talk about death or don't show death. But, I mean, we talk about it all the time on social media. We, like, our skin lambs on there and, like, people see that. Because I think if you don't show people the good and the bad, yeah. then people can't support you or empathise with you when you need them to. So when you are like, okay, now we need you to back us, there's, there's like, every single reason why they should because they've followed it and they've seen the ups yeah. and they've seen the downs. Compared to, say, maybe five years ago, it feels like people are much more interested. Is that something that you've noticed as well? I think, do you know, honestly, again, COVID the last two years has massively helped because I think all of a sudden when everything got took away from everybody and like people's freedom and the luxuries, like, it didn't matter about them anymore. All people wanted in that time was space, time to breathe, outdoors, fresh air. And I think that's when they turned then to kind of, learning to understand more about how life is in the countryside because it is a completely different way of life isn't it yeah and all of a sudden everybody wanted it um so they started paying more attention to what happens what's grown the the, even the countryside sports like everything um i I honestly think that is literally down to covid and people having a realization that actually the things that make you happy in life aren't all the luxuries and the fancy things it's it's just having space having a chance to slow down i think too because you you just run at a whole different a whole different pace yeah when i first came up here i was thinking it was so funny i used to call it like running on cumbrian time yeah i was was from liverpool and like it was it was busy it wasn't like london but i couldn't even believe that like yeah people were yeah so i'll I'll pop around and come and do that at some point like 
a month later yeah. you see him it's like yeah it's cumbering time <laughs> <laughs> what did you so are any of your family like in farming at all because like what did no. they think when you were like right i am actually you yeah. know i'm not just saying this i'm actually gonna go yeah. and <laughs> you know, they were actually do this they were really supportive so good i mean yeah. especially because i was stopping like the the masters and the kind of academic yeah, 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 side yeah, yeah. that way but i think they always knew that i was so hands-on anyway so they mum dad said to me like look well, like, give yourself a year, see what you can do yeah. in a year. We'll try and help you and support you in any way that we can. Um, but predominantly, this is, like, down to you now to make this happen if you yeah. really want to make it happen. Yeah. Um, so they were really, really supportive that way. Also realistic at times, too. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because obviously, the first, like, year, well, first 10 months, I didn't earn, like, a single penny. Because um, I literally just swapped all of... I swapped like board and lodgings to learn as much as I could. Yeah. Um, so it was a big sacrifice that way. Um, and the savings took a dent and probably never really what mum and dad ever really expected would happen. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. you go to, you need to go straight into a job, don't you? Yeah. Whereas I was going to then work for nothing for like a yeah. year. So, um, but no, they were brilliant. And um, I th- but I think they could just see it in my eyes and like, the, like there was like a spark there, if that makes sense. Um. Like, and it was everything that I've always wanted to do and all the things that have that's always made me me, if that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so. Yeah. So let's talk about a- SAS Who Dares Wins. Quite an intense programme. How was that as an experience for you? Amazing. Yeah, it yeah. was absolutely amazing. To be fair, I do think farming set me up very well for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Just because of the mentality you have to have for yeah. it. Like, obviously, it was physically, it was the hardest thing I ever did, but also it was mentally i don't think i'll ever do anything as hard as it no um and like I, just watching that program yeah is like i get anxiety yeah i know so, i get like, sweats and i watch oh it now and i'll be through it <laughs> <laughs> but, um no firstly the hill legs thank god i did a lot of fell gathering because it meant yeah. i had the hill legs and that was a great yeah. thing but yeah i think being far like a farmer and the mentality you have to have like to just you have to have that kind of self-discipline don't you and you have to have, like, you're used to, like, being in battling with your own head often because you're often working on your own. You're in, yeah. like, you can be in, like, far from ideal situations where, like, I've been lost in a fell in the fog before or it's just pissing down in rain. And, like, it just, it makes you mentally really, really strong. And I think that's probably what set me off from from the beginning, really, to kind of have a bit more faith in myself because yeah. every day you're like that. And then, it- obviously not as extreme, but... But is it exactly, is it like what you're actually seeing on the TV? You it's know, like, so. It's about, like, I would say, like, 60% worse than what you see on the TV. Worse, oh my God. I mean, like, you don't see, like, you probably don't see 30% of the other things that we did, like, the yeah, tasks okay. that you do, and how many yeah. times you get pulled out of bed, and you get thrown into cold water, or oh you get God. dragged into the room, like, it, it is, like, they're there to play, like, a whole mind game with you, if that yeah. makes sense. Because you were there till, till pretty the much end. the end, weren't you? Yeah. You, till the end. Till the end. Because you got tortured, right? Yeah, 18 hours. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. actually horrendous. And like, I remember, because like, you have to remember the cover story, it's in Spanish, like, all these words were in Spanish about the places. And I was yeah. like, I just couldn't keep this Spanish name, I was yeah. saying it over and over and over again. And it morphed into this whole <laughs> different, like, word. And I was just like, what? And I was like, at the age, like, that point, like... At some bits, like, you could convince yourself, like, you were going to tell you. So, like, any of yeah. the adrenaline things didn't bother me. Like, any yeah, of these, yeah. like, the big jump-off things. Or, I'm like, I'm, I can't die. 
I'm yeah, going to yeah, go and yeah, travel. Yeah, yeah. I can't die. Like, yeah, yeah. I, you just have to keep that. But when I got to the interrogation, oh my God, like you were absolutely like, you just were so thought you were there. No, I know. Do you know, I learned so much about myself though. And I yeah. learned so much about like your, men- your, like your head and how you control it and how yeah. like often like your mind stops you a lot of the time before yeah. your body can even. Absolutely. Like it's got so much left in the tank. So yeah, I did learn so much. Yeah. So it was, it was yeah. incredible. And I would recommend anyone to do it. Like how, obviously coming from a non-farming background, yeah. we see this all the time, you know, we know the vast amount of opportunities that there are. Yes. How accessible do you think it actually is for people to, to come into this industry? Yeah. How, how easy is it? Um, or is it dependent on the person, dependent on like, what sector think, you want to go into? I think so. I think, I th- yeah, it depends on loads of things. I think your mentality is a lot to do with it. I think if you're mm. determined and passionate enough, like you can make anything work if you really want to. Um, but also, it's not that easy to, it's not an easy industry to break in. I think I was very naive when I first started thinking that I would just kind of, walk onto this farm and I would just be like accepted straight away um but there's a lot of things you have to, you have to prove yourself a lot and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing um but yeah and then it depends then doesn't it from there like do you do you mean is it accessible to get your own farm and to be farmed in your own right that way or is it accessible to kind of get on a farm and work on a farm probably the latter yeah so I mean I think because I think you could probably go into it via a college or yeah. something like that. That's that if if that's for you. Yeah. But in terms of if you if you don't know anybody or yeah. you don't know where to start, that's like it. what how what's the first step? I, it's literally I think is to do what I've said and just to ring and call and put yourself out there a bit. Yeah, but also be prepared that you're gonna get there all well the setbacks and there's no's, but you have you have to have the mentality of keep going until a door opens, if that makes sense. Um and then I always say, like, the best thing I actually did when I first came up here as well um, is I ended up getting a job in the local pub. And it was the best thing ever because I got to know all the farmers. Like, it wasn't the same pressure of me, like, knocking on their doors and saying, oh, can I have a job or can I have some work experience? Like, I was getting to know them one-on-one. They were getting to know who I was as a person. And that was a really, really invaluable thing, um, which I just, yeah, massively yeah. recommend. And then social media, again, is another thing that I recommend for kind of getting a bit more accessibility because so many farmers on there and it's quite a nice little farming community online yeah. whether it's on twitter or instagram anywhere um and you can learn so much from people without yeah. even having to go places and you can get involved in conversations and debates and like you can soak so much up if you open your open yourself to it but yeah i think i think you could probably do more things to make it more accessible mm. um and i think sometimes i forget actually like i think you forget like what you've gone through and you just breeze over like yes yeah, what I did and it was fine well, I think we do need to do more I think we we need to do more here I'd love to do more on this farm my issue is that it's so it's still small that like it doesn't even occupy my full time so to bring somebody else yeah, on yeah, is really yeah. quite tricky yeah um I think we could do we, we could definitely do with bringing opening it up so more people can come in that aren't from farming yeah yeah, yeah. um I think it's an industry sometimes we can I think I, I say that we look after our own so so well and we stand up for each other and we have each other's backs, but then that can make it quite a hard little bubble to kind of initially initially get into, yeah. Are you surprised at how well your social media has Yeah, has no, gone? I never expect never expected yeah. and it was never in the plan to do what I do now. Like it literally was just to 
get to know farmers, learn as much as I could, open yeah. my eyes to different ways of doing things and yeah, and then it, it's just snowballed then. I think I think it became because I was that person then that sat on both sides and I'd been that person that had no idea at all where the yeah. food came from, how it was produced. And now I sit on the other side when all I want people to do is pay attention to what happens on a farm and yeah, yeah, yeah. learn and learn the process that your journey, your food takes and the journey it takes. Um then that became an even bigger thing to me than actually farming. It was trying to connect that bridge back together again. Yeah. So yes, then social media just it snowballed into this other other side of it, which is what it is now, really. The farming community grows day by day on that. And it's and it's a really good, especially on Instagram, like it's a really good positive place. And we can learn loads off each other, we can encourage each other, inspire yeah. each other. It's amazing. And like it's opened so many doors. Like I got my job. I went to Australia and worked there for six weeks, five weeks, and that came through social media. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's opened so many opportunities that way that, like, you can't even begin to explain, really. Have you been wondering if your maize is ready to harvest yet? It's really important that you cut it at the optimal time to maximise quality and to age storage in the clump. With modern varieties that stay green and with more variable weather, it can be difficult to get this right. But don't worry, just download the LG Maze Manager app. The harvest tool will lead you through a simple test in the field that will tell you when the maize crop is ready to harvest. It also includes a wealth of advice on the best varieties to use next season. Search LG Maze Manager in your app store today. You're obviously an advocate for women in farming and there's a lot of women out there who look up to you. Do you think things have changed and is it still changing? How how are we taking this subject and the conversation forwards? It's such a hard topic to cover, which is really one of the reasons why I wanted to write the books. It's one of those things that you can't sum up in an interview or in a few sentences. Like, because as soon as you speak out about women in farming, there's a backlash that follows you straight away. Yeah. And I think a lot of women don't speak up about their experiences sometimes because they're worried about what that backlash will be then. Yeah. And it's it's like, well, if you want, <coughs> you get it all the time, you want it to be equal. Stop going on about women in farming. It's like, that doesn't actually tackle an issue and it no. doesn't help an issue. It's like, I think definitely it's got better. Um, also, I think women are absolutely smashing it at the same time. I think, again, social media has opened the doors a bit more. It's given women more confidence to showcase what they're about and to to kind of beat this stereotype that a woman in farming is only a farmer's wife who cooks and cleans, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, so I think we are on the way, massively on the way to improving things. But the conversation does still need to keep happening. I don't know at what point we'll get to the to the thing where you say farmer and people, there's no gender stereotype with people it. People don't think anything, yeah. Like, I think it took a long time. Like, doctors are the same. And they, they, I feel like they've got there with a doctor now. When you say doctor, you don't automatically you know, assume you're a man, right yeah. But once upon a time, you would have... Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think when we get there, then we've won. But there's a lot of work that has to be done. And people have to accept that the conversation has to be ongoing in order for it to improve, I think. And I think because we're not really... We haven't faced it as an industry for a long time. It's mm. just been until now. I feel like now we do always talk, we do always yeah, talk about yeah, yeah. farming. It's so good. Um, 
But I think because we never really, and we just kind of, we just pussyfooted around mm. it a bit, didn't we? That we're just behind, we're so behind the times of it. But I think it's amazing that so many things coming up now where it's like women only, because I think we, like, I, it's hard, isn't it? People on social, women on social media that are farming are very confident women, confident farmers, and they're happy to talk about their experiences and they're happy to say, push their head above the parapet and go, I'm a woman in farming, I can do what every man can do. But there's also a lot of female farmers that don't have that confidence and don't feel like they can walk into a room and hold a conversation against men, men when it's yeah 80% men, 20% women, or even more. Like, how often have I gone to a farming event and I'm sat around the table and I'm the only woman? But I don't mm. mind, but that's not the case for all women. Yeah, I think yeah. we need to remember that, that sometimes our examples of women in farming... They don't, they don't, what's the word? Represent everybody. The personalities that don't represent every personality in the industry. And we have to make sure that it's comfortable for everybody, whether you're super confident or super not confident. I think that's why these women things are great now. Because it's allowing that safer space where they feel less judged. Yeah. They feel like they can open up their opinions more. And Do you mean things like women dairy? Conferences yeah, women like dairy yeah. and the Scottish... This board are brilliant. They've got their own new, their full women's um, board, haven't they, over there? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm all for it, to be honest. I don't think it's an inequality thing. I don't think it's asking for it to be unequal. I just think it creates safer spaces, basically. Yeah. So tell us about your book, Call Me Red, which within a week, I think, became a Times bestseller. You had been um, approached before about writing a book, hadn't you? So they so they came back and went, do the book? And I was like, do you know what? Actually, I have got so much to say. And I think sometimes, like, again, I think the only thing that stopped me doing it before was, oh, people think I'm, I haven't been in the industry long enough to be able to write oh, something. Really? Do you know what I mean? So yeah. like, I come across very confident, but still you always have those things in your head going, oh, what people say that I've just walked on here, I'm only 28. And if you go to people, I've written a memoir. What, at 28? You've written a memoir at 28, and I'm like, yeah, I have, actually. And now I've got, I'm like, yeah, I have, I've got loads to say. Yeah. So more to say. There was about 40% that wasn't allowed in the book. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I just, there was loads of topics that I wanted to hit. I really wanted to hit, like, women in farming. I wanted to hit mental health and farming. I wanted to kind of, but then I wanted the book not just to be solely farming. I wanted people to pick up the book and feel inspired to go after any dream that they had when they were little. And, like, to defy stereotypes and make people understand that society might put us in boxes very early on. Like a girl from the world should never have been on a farm and couldn't be running her own flock. Like, but it doesn't matter. And that's what I really wanted the book to, to say was like, you've got your dream. It doesn't matter what your background, just your gender, your religion, your race, like you can achieve whatever you want. Um, so that was really the other thing for the book was, was to hammer that home and, and a lot about mindset and um, overcoming challenges. Um, I mean, heaps. There's, there's, there's key things that I just really wanted to run through. Yeah. But they were definitely the main ones. Was, yeah, just to kind of yeah. have that dream and run with it and, yeah. and, and go with it. And not just it would be solely focused on the farm. Which it is. But it kind of tells those stories through yeah. what I've learned along the way. And it's now a bestseller, I read. It's now a bestseller. And yeah, I mean, it came, it got released and in the first week it hit Sunday Times bestseller and I literally just cried. I couldn't even believe it. So what what do you think the biggest things are facing our industry 
<sighs> because it's quite a time of change yeah. right now, isn't it? And yeah. there's a lot going on and yeah. so many people have so many different things to say. Oh my God. There's so many issues, isn't there? That's the, the thing. Like you could talk all day about Brexit. You could talk all day about the, sh- the free trade deals. They're an mm. actual nightmare. Um, Which you've kind of got your own route to market. So yeah. But in yeah, terms which, is, of... which is fine for like me, but then industry wide, it's just an actual disaster, isn't it? And mm. like we want to encourage people in, yet all we're doing at the minute is, I think we're being so let down by the government every time. Yeah, that it's it's a nightmare. Like we want us to produce food cheaper, but then we want us to look after the environment, which absolutely we should be doing that. And I'm all for farming with the environment and taking care of, of the land and the animals and the nature, but then they want to then they just absolutely screw you over and then bring in food which is not like uh, raised to our standards. Animal welfare is all yeah. through the floor in comparison. Of course they can provide it cheaper because they haven't got any of these things they have to follow. Yeah. And then they fight halfway around the world. Like, how can you tell farmers to look after the land and care for the environment? Yeah. Like you fly meat from literally the other half of the world. But I mean, I think there's so many things in the way, but I do think the answer roughly if I was going to sum it all up really is is the is the British public the only way that the industry well I think the, the big one of the biggest key answers for the industry surviving and thriving is really to have the backing of the British public and that is like not going to happen unless we keep showcasing what we do every day keep saying why people need to go out their way to spend a bit more on food which has had a proper it's been well looked after it's had a proper life and we can't physically produce food any cheaper, mm. especially now our subsidies are going to be going as well. Like, yeah. it's physically impossible. So the only thing you can do is help people understand why they should value our food more and our farming processes more. And that is basically why we get up every day and slam it all over social media because it needs to. Because I think if we don't shout about our story and about what we do, then we can't Nobody leave it else to anyone will. else too. Yeah. So yeah I think sometimes that's a bit of a misconception isn't it as well about if you're if you're of the older generation mm-hmm. you don't understand why yeah we're doing all we're doing all yeah. this over, over social media it's well, not that we're talking about ourselves or no. anything like that yeah. it's not a narcissistic thing it's act, it, nobody else is gonna that's it have and a chance to yeah do this again no that's it and I think that is the word that gets thrown around so much on industry is oh you're just a narcissist it's like Mm. are you actually joking this is like such a bigger picture this is about like the industry as a whole it's about the community as a whole like more and more and more we see little farms being broken up especially around here farms broken up houses sold off land sold off or rented out different places and like you lose a community like before you even blink any plans for the future anything that farm worries or um to be fair we've got to i want 300 of my aim was always yeah and i'm really happy that we're now we've hit that this year um so the plan really is is to make that flock as efficient and productive as possible um so i got out of the numbers game a long time ago for a long time i was like well the more sheep you have the better farmer you are and i managed to shift myself from that mentality a long time ago Mm -hmm. to now focus on really trying to make that the best business it can be um so the plan will be to stay at 300 um but to really knuckle down on keeping the right sheep breeding from the right sheep um really taking care of the environment we're putting up ponds in the backfield now aren't we for um 
and we're planting a few trees just to kind of bring back some of that wild that you don't really see much around here. Yeah. So we're massively pushing that. Um, and then the other thing that I'd love to do is have um, some accommodation on the farm for people to come and stay in. Yeah. It's a massive, massive thing for to be able to have that. Our land is just so unhelpful because <laughs> it's so hilly and it's so like not that accessible. So yeah, um, it's trying to find the right thing and where to put it. But yeah, that's yeah, a yeah. big thing that I'd love to do. Um, but yeah, no, really happy we've, we've finally got to the point where I feel like we've got some substantial. Thanks to Hannah for talking to us. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite platform to keep notified of new episodes. We'll be back next Tuesday. From all the team at Farmers Guardian, thank you for listening. We hope you stay safe and well and goodbye for now.